0: I'll build a design system for three different clients in three, maybe completely different ways, just based on their needs and their scope. A really large, huge enterprise team might need very flexible components because they're going to be used in like such a wide range of you know, like multiple products, versus a much smaller team. It's gonna be a lot more specific and you kinda like pinpoint an exact use case with each component.
1: Welcome to Dive Club. My name is Rid and this is where we go deep with the best designers so you can learn from their journey and apply it to your own career. Today, I'm talking with Molly Helmuth, who's the creator of UI prep, and she's taught hundreds of people in her design system bootcamp. So if you're a Figma nerd, then you're going to love this episode because we get into the weeds of all of the latest tactics. And I wanna start this conversation by learning more about how Molly approached updating her UI prep design system after the introduction of Figma variables.
0: After config, there was so many new features to just wrap our heads around and start using and, yeah, so it's an overwhelming process to update an entire system using all these features. So I actually took things a little bit slower than I normally might and really experimented with all the different features, I even worked on one or two side projects just to really experiment with variables and the new auto layout wrap features and all these different things just to make sure I understood them fully, I understood the limitations of them and like, are they actually doing what I think they're doing? and how can I iterate on these new things? Because I think with every new feature, it can be easy to just like really quickly jump in and start updating everything and kind of play with it like a new toy. But it's so important to, to really take your time and learn how to use these features in a way that's gonna like really serve you and your team. So I took like a, a month or two, which surprised me how long I wanted to take to like fully understand these new features before I started incorporating them into UI prep. And of course, the biggest one is color variables. That's just like such a massive thing to introduce to any system if you've only been using styles so far, which of course everyone has been. And yeah, that took the the bulk of my time and effort and it's like brain power to kind of wrap my head around. How should we use these new features, especially these new variables, and make them as powerful as they can be while also being intuitive and easy to learn for both you and like a new person on your team and also maintain long-term. So that kind of sweet spot of complexity that you want to hit. And so I really started there and just like really diving into especially just like naming conventions for things like color variables and like until then semantic naming seemed kind of optional in Figma and now it seems like almost mandatory with like the way we're using these new features or at least highly suggested and so just making sure that those made sense and were easy to, to use and to learn and just kind of going through like a couple of different ways this might work and you know, how should we structure things and then flipping it all on its head and just seeing, you know, do I like that better? Do I not like that better? Um, showing it to a few other designers, seeing, you know, if they think it seems intuitive to them. Cause of course, something that makes sense to you might not make sense, um, initially to someone else. So just getting that initial feedback as well. And then, of course, you know we're still learning about variables. Variables are still evolving. We've only had this kind of like first wave of updates with them. And I have to imagine there's at least one or two more coming, just like we saw with other huge changes like our component variables, where we didn't even have you know exposed nested instances or properties the way we have them now. And so the way we use things is just evolving so much. So I'm still very much keeping an open mind of... Should the variables be used on their own should they be fed into color styles there's just still so many things to really think about with them so like still keeping an open mind and i think i jumped into number variables next those are just an easy win for any system i think because we didn't have them before and so adding them to any system is just kind of a net positive because you're not having to replace anything or compete with like an existing system of how you saved and reused certain elements and I think they're also a lot easier to adopt, especially with the plugin. I think it's variables pro. It does a pretty good job of selecting a component or a design and like automatically applying number variables. Where I think it's just a lot harder with color variables because you might have the same blue color that's used for text and background and a border and identifying which one is which is has a little more nuance to it. So that I think is a little more manual still. So yeah, it took. A little while longer than i was expecting to update it because these help, newest updates have been so foundational they really touch everything in a design system so yeah definitely worth taking the time to like fully explore the new features before adopting them in a new system just to make sure you really know kind of what you're getting into and like what you're going to get out of the feature. something i recommend to a lot of my students is fully learn variables and then also decide if they're right for your system because i think some systems are Small enough where it might be adding more complexity than is, is, is worth it to add to your system. Maybe just sticking with some of the original features is actually the kind of more strategic move for your team.
1: Let's drill into that because I think that's a very interesting topic where I kind of did the same thing. Like variables came out. I started immediately trying to think about, okay, how do I teach these? And I realized, mm-hmm. geez, I don't actually know yet. Like I ended up building literally like a full system and dummy product just as a way to learn. So I think it's interesting to hear you talk about like side projects and experiments. One of the things that became really clear early in the process is that it is super easy to over architect a system where, yeah, maybe everything's really connected and it's super cool, but it's kind of a pain to use and ends up getting in the way a little bit. And so maybe you could talk about how you think teams should go about finding where that line is. Like how much does it make sense to adopt variables? And maybe what are some of the signals where you might realize, okay, maybe actually we have gone too far or this doesn't make sense given our setup. Can you help teams think about that challenge a little bit?
0: Yeah, I think it all really comes down to like scope and complexity of your system. If you know you need theming, like light and dark theme, or you know you want to support multiple brands and you want all those brands to share some files, then I think go, go ahead and start using variables. That's going to have like clear value right away. But most teams don't need either of those, I would say. Most teams think of it as like a nice idea for maybe in the future, but they just don't need multiple themes or multiple brands. They're just one product and things are pretty straightforward i think it makes sense to at least practice make like a really small dummy project and go through the process especially since right now figma's suggestion is to create variables for colors and then feed them into color styles which can feel like a really kind of tedious and typical yeah. process. And people can be really scratch their head of like, how is this making this easier again? Like, can we go over the pros of, you know, why are we going through all these steps just so we can like make this one thing blue? And so I think going through the process and then fully understanding what's involved in it and also deciding, okay, is this going to make things easier or, or harder for us? For some teams, it even comes down to like, do we even need really specific semantic naming or can we combine some of these categories? Can we just have... You know, backgrounds and borders share the same color that we use, or is it helpful to keep them separated? So I think kind of going through like a practice project and just thinking about like, okay, where do we want to be in five years? Like, is this going to help us get there or just be kind of like an interesting distraction right now? That being said, once you do find a good system and it does work for you, once it's set up, it's like a lot of front-loaded work where once it's set up, and you like the system, then you're just kind of using it as you would with like a, a simple, straightforward style system. If you're a little on the fence, you can always give it a try. And then it's kind of easy to walk back, especially if you are feeding the variables into styles, because you're only ever using the styles. So you can always just remove the variables and keep the styles as is. So it can be relatively lower risk if you kind of add in that extra layer of functionality.
1: So you said something kind of interesting, which is basically just a reminder to keep in mind that this is still wave one of a really large feature set and inevitably not only are things going to change and we're going to have additions to this feature you know we've talked about like typography variables and image variables and things like that but also the strategies inevitably will change as we put the feature set to the test a little bit and it reminds me of component properties where all of a sudden we had boolean properties available to us and we just said, you know what, we're going to boolean property everything and remove all of our variants and we're going to create these super components that can do everything. And the more we went down that path, we kind of realized like, "Ah, oh, shoot, like that doesn't actually make sense. Like, There's no discoverability. You can't actually see how this is being used. It's more clicks for everyone consuming the components. Do you have a sense that we're going to be feeling a similar way about variables in the future where we're like, OK, we just went all in and applied them everywhere or we used them this way and then maybe it didn't make that much sense? Like, how do you even think about keeping that open mind and making sure that you're not going too far and down a direction that doesn't really work?
0: I think about this often. This is what keeps me up at night is <laughs> what's going to be the thing we regret in six months from now? And there's going to be something for sure. Um, I often remind my students, like, hey, remember base components? And when we thought making a button with, a you know, a 100 variants was, like, a really cool idea. And then, like, a few months later, it wasn't. I think that's going to be a similar case here. I hopefully not as extreme because those base components were a little painful to undo. Yeah. But at the time, they were the best practice given that first wave of the feature sets for our new components and how we were building them. So at the time, it did make sense, but we were using an incomplete feature. And I think that we I guess variables are incomplete in terms of they don't even have text variables or images or gradients or all the categories, but even just the best practices for how to use the variables that we do have really haven't been established. If you look online for good guides on them, there's not much to be honest because people just don't know yet. We're still figuring it out. Even the top creators or teams or like Figma themselves, there just aren't, that many resources right now other than like just the basics of like announcing the features to really go into like okay here's the best way to do this here's the best strategy because we're all still kind of feeling it out we're also kind of waiting for those you know that second main third wave to drop on how we're going to use these a little bit differently how we're going to like add to them when variables first came out the expectation was like oh we're just going to use color variables and apply the variable to an object and now there's just like possible idea that maybe it's best to feed them into a style and then apply the style to the object. So even that is like a massive shift in how we're using this feature just within the first few months of the feature being released. So I think it's important to start exploring and experimenting early, but maybe adopt a bit slowly and just really cautious, start experimenting, see what's possible, have some practice projects, think about what might be possible and like how the current features might serve your team long-term, but maybe don't apply them just yet. Maybe apply them in small stages and small steps or just in like ways that feel safe. Like I think adding number variables is is fairly safe. I don't see that one changing too much. I don't see us ever having like number styles to compete with our variables. So that one feels like a pretty safe place to start.
1: Can you talk to me a little bit about how you use number variables in your system? Because you can kind of like, define them almost as a primitive, like you'd see in like a tailwind, which is you know, your four or your eight point scale, or you can kind of make them more like use case. And how do you think about aliasing? Like, I, I think it's an obvious starting point because it is kind of simple, but also if you push on it, it gets kind of complex and there's a lot of different strategies. So I'd love to hear how you think about it.
0: That is true. I think, yeah, on one level it, it is simple, but you can make it complex just like with anything else you can end up with, you know, hundred plus number variables, that's probably not where you wanna be for most teams. Um, Again, you can start with a primitive collection, feed it into a semantic collection, then apply that semantic collection of variables to your designs. I think unless you're a really huge team and you're really going all in on number variables, maybe both collections make sense for you. But I think for the majority of the teams, skipping straight to the semantic collection and just adding in like raw numbers to those values I think it's fine. I think we're pretty much all using an 8-point grid and we can all just kind of figure out what the number should be. We don't need a list of like multiples of 8 to choose from. And if we do, we can just update them like manually. If for some reason 6 becomes like the magic number, we could always go in and and make those updates manually. I I don't think it'd be that difficult. So I think you can simplify it first by only using one collection. And then I think you can also simplify it by not getting too component specific aside from any like very small instances where you need a component specific number, I think you can do more general big topics like spacing and sizing, or maybe just like sizing for height and sizing for width, and then space between for your auto layout components. So even these kind of general like that, and then being really mindful when you do get component specific, because you obviously don't want a whole set of numbers for like every component in your system, it's going to be a lot, but some things like maybe you have a few sizes just for your icons, That's technically kind of component specific, but I think it's really valuable to say, hey, icons can be one of three sizes. They're gonna be 24, 16, or 32, something like that. That's really straightforward. I think that's really an easy one to use. And like corner radius is pretty specific, but I think just naturally specific. So I think keeping things as simple as possible, I always remind myself of, you know, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Just always find a way to iterate and make something even simpler than however you first made it, just to make it that much easier to like adopt and maintain. Cause the second you start getting really specific in one area, you're going to be really tempted to get specific in all these yeah. other different areas. And that's when things get a little off the rails.
1: I couldn't agree more. And it's kind of validating actually, to even hear you come to those kinds of conclusions because in the same way, like I started off and I was like, well, I'm just going to define my primitive size values. And then you, get in there and you're like, man, but I have to publish this and it's getting in the way every time I open up like a drop-down menu. So I also really like this idea of just building the smallest possible system. And it's really awesome to hear how you think about it. I have a few other Figma related, just quick getting questions because I can't pass on this opportunity to pick your brain. So maybe we can just move into a little Figma lightning round here. And the first one is When you look at the UI prep system and all the updates you made for 8.0, what is your favorite update that you've made?
0: That's a tough one. I I think the color variables, just because they were so huge and I could have light and dark themes in one file, which is something I hadn't done before. I'd always had two separate files people could use. I'd always been tempted to use token studio, but it felt, It's just quite a huge learning curve, even though it's like so powerful and such a great tool, just not for everybody. And I think now having the ability to just like keep these multiple themes in one file and just be able to do one little switch at the top of the page and have everything switch over just feels like magic. And I think the first moment I got that working exactly I wanted to, and I had all the colors set just right, it was like so rewarding to just see everything kind of switch over. So that was like the best, like kind of magic moment I think of these updates. And then also, auto layout wrap is just so cool. First applying that to just like a few different components, even just like a simple little list of chips. It's just so satisfying to see because you know, we've all like just like beat our head against the table. Everyone's like, "Ugh, if I could just make this like move down once sort of, there's enough room, like it would be so much better. Like, I guess I'll create like a second component. Like this one's for a long list. This one's for a short list or, you know, whatever it is. That was just like such like a small like little win for me, I think, with certain components where I could finally have them have like the exact behavior that I wanted.
1: You mentioned the themeability, And my next question is, okay, let's say that you're starting out, you're building this themable system, you're going to have a light mode and a dark mode. Are you pulling from a single set of gray primitive colors to power both of those modes? Or do you have a Set of grays specifically for light and then a set of grays specifically for dark.
0: When I was updating the WordPress system for these new variables, I really studied the Adobe color spectrum system and all their documentation on color, which I thought was like really straightforward and like really made a lot of sense. And I love how they handle their light and dark themes. And I essentially copied it exactly where they have themable color palettes. So they have an entire palette for, let's say, your light theme and a completely separate color palette for your dark theme. And what's great is that at first glance, it looks like you just inverted everything. You just made one through 10 go 10 through 1. But when you look in a little closer, you can see each color is actually optimized just a little bit to have even higher and like better contrast with either a light or a dark background. So it's just going to be like even more accessible and even more just attractive because it's going to just pop more. So these little optimizations, I think, really go a long way.
1: I love that. You mentioned Adobe as like a source of inspiration and that kind of begs the next question for me which is like so many designers like tens of thousands of designers literally are plugged into your friday five newsletter as like a source of inspiration and learning and like if you're not subscribed you should go to UI Preps website and check that out because it's awesome i read every edition my question then is like, what sources are you plugged into to keep learning and growing?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Every week I'm thinking of five new tips for the newsletter, which <laughs> which I'm surprised. Like, it's been years and it still doesn't get old. I don't run out of resources because there's just so many great things to look to, like creators or other frameworks or design systems. I always, you know, my kind of go-to people are like Brad Frost, Dan Wall, Nathan Curtis, well, there's really huge people in the design system space having like such really rich, valuable uh, resources whenever they do come out. I wish they would post more, but whenever they post something, I know it's going to be gold. So I'm always definitely looking there and just like studying how other design systems are doing things, even if they don't really have like a, a public, like an article or a resource about how they do things, just like going through and like actually studying like a tool and like seeing like, oh, how is this company, like their life product, how are they tackling this and kind of digging into it. I guess it be such a huge source of learning. It's just kind of like digging into how someone else did something.
1: It's cool that you mentioned products and not just open source systems. Cause that is something that always kind of bugged me a little bit. It's like, if you're a small medium sized business and you want to learn about doing a design system, the only true publicly available resources are from like the biggest players, which have a totally different set of challenges and constraints and, maybe some of those don't make sense for your 12 person design team or something like that. But one of the most helpful things that I did when even thinking about how different colors could map is I did study a few different products. I actually went into linear. I know it's like so cliche, but I just looked at their theming and I took screenshots and I just, I dropped to see how they were changing their grays across themes. And I almost learned as much from that as going <laughs> to designsystems.com or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah, I know when I was updating, uh, UI prep for the new variables, I was trying to figure out the best way to name all the, the colors. I don't, I definitely was like taking screenshots of like demo videos from, I think it was like Asana and Atlassian and Ford from their talk at Config and just like mm-hmm. even in a talk when they kind of briefly discussed something, like going in, like pausing and like taking screenshots screenshot and, like, okay, how'd they name this? And, like, why would they do that when like this company did that? And, like kind of thinking through like, maybe their reasoning and like what they consider pros and cons and just kind of like figuring out the, you know, <laughs> the, the average of them. I often think about creating design systems like cooking. When you're cooking something, maybe I'll, I'll look at like five different recipes and see how all of them tackle things and like, you know, why they did it, cook at low temperature for this time or high temperature for that time or add these different ingredients. And I almost never go with an exact recipe, but I will in my mind kind of calculate all of them. Like take an average factor in like what I need and like what I have in the fridge and then build something there. So even though it's not directly copying or like leaning too much on like one particular source, I think just like being exposed to as many systems as possible helps you make better decisions in your own system. A question I get a lot in my course is about using kind of unconventional colors. Some students are like, my team is using yellow and like I can't, I can't give it some otherwise like yellow is our brand color and like I got to make it work. Like, please help me because it's impossible. Um, we all have a moment of silence for this one designer yeah, good and, then we start, <laughs> and then we start brainstorming and I, it always comes down to like, Hey team, like Amazon, their button is yellow. Like if they can do it, you can do it. Like if you can find unconventional solutions, I'm sure a number of like big teams and small teams and medium teams who are doing something similar and you can do the same thing. You can kind of, see how all of them are tackling it, take an average of that factor in like what you need, and then make a decision based on all of that rich information.
1: I love that. Moving along in my list of Figma curiosities here, if someone's working on a design system, I'm curious what other plugins you'd recommend they check out. You mentioned Variables Pro, are there other ones that you find yourself using or recommending most often?
0: A lot of times I recommend when people are adding in color, especially. create like a brand new system to use a super palette that's a really great one copying directly like another palette from another system i typically point people to adobe but there's a ton of really great other design systems and like their colors you can also generate your own color using like a hex code from like your existing uh, design system if you have one i know it is paid but there's a free trial so take advantage of it and yeah, that was a great one. Use contrast is really great for just double checking all of your contrast between layers, especially text on backgrounds. And H-Shapes is also really, really great. makes documenting so, so, so much easier. And it really does a better job than I think most of us would do on our own yeah. of just highlighting some of the important things like spacing and sizing and you know what's available. I mean, it's right now the best one for documentation. And I have all my students using it.
1: Yeah, same. It's really, really impressive. If you are going to create a table, are you going to group your components by column, or are you going to group them by row?
0: Uh, an age-old question. Um, it's funny, if you look in the history of UI prep, I think every edition, I like flip-flop, because I always go back and <laughs> forth of what's better. <laughs> so my short answer is neither is right or wrong. After many iterations, I think columns suit the most amount of use cases and are typically going to be easier to work with because they're just a little more flexible especially like resizing columns like adding a new column i think it's just going to be typically easier however if your team and you're like prototyping realistic prototype is like number one in our hearts and minds maybe rows are better because you can really have those interactive components and have the rows highlight and be show a selected state really easily or if you're like we have huge data intensive tables that like need to expand and like almost like an accordion and show additional information. You can't. You just need a row. So I think for those like specific use cases, sometimes rows make more sense, but for I think the majority of people, columns are gonna be easier. Also, there's no harm in having both. If you have multiple types of tables, like you can use both. You don't need to you know pick one and be like on team column or team row. You can kind of pick and choose as they suit you.
1: You've obviously been building design systems in Figma for years now, you mentioned flip-flopping between tables and rows as your thinking's evolved. Are there other ways that the UI prep system has clearly like evolved in terms of how you are thinking or your strategies for building, or maybe you're using different tactics that you weren't in the beginning?
0: I think the through line is always trying to make it as easy to learn and use as possible. I think a little blip in that was maybe trying to use the base components and properties because we were just caught in this like weird in between zone of yeah. a, you know, of a feature that was still taking form. And so at times trying to see, okay, let's make these components as powerful as possible. And then kind of coming back to the other outside the spectrum, making them as usable as possible. So now I really have components really split up into much smaller component sets to make them even more discoverable and like so much easier to use. And it's funny seeing the difference between the UI Prep system and the system that I'll build out for a client. Because the, the needs are so different. In UI Prep, I'm trying to create a component be as powerful and usable for the most amount of people. So making things really flexible and like intuitive for you know a new designer or an experienced designer, where for a client the components can be like hyper focused on like that one client's needs and like okay, this button needs to do just one thing. This input needs to do this one thing versus trying to make it really flexible. So even entire systems can be different for just whatever they are working on. And a, lar- a really large, huge enterprise team might need very flexible components because they're going to be used in like such a wide range of you know, like multiple products. So they need to really account for a lot of different use cases. Whereas a much smaller team is going to be a lot more specific and kind of like pinpoint an exact use case with each component which makes it a lot easier to use, but of course it's a little bit restricting. So it's fun to see the differences. Just Even as like one designer, me, right now, I'll build a design system for three different clients in three maybe completely different ways just based on their needs and their scope.
1: What about a button set? You talked a little bit about how the size of our variant sets have kind of been going up and down over the years. If building from scratch today would you group the types of buttons, like a primary, secondary, outline button, would you group those into a single component variant set or would you create separate main components for each type?
0: Right now, I would create a separate component set for each type, so I would have like brand primary be one type and then brand secondary be a second type. And then same for if I have a danger and a success button. It's a much easier experience for the designer using these tools. I think it's also easier for developers to just kind of see things. And I always like to just point people to, you know, actually look inside, pull up the assets menu, click on the button, expand the button section. Like you should see like a really nice, understandable, like menu of options as you're designing and see, okay, here's a pretty clear list of what I can use. And then kind of work backwards from there. If you have a ton of buttons, maybe combining some Makes that list like a little more digestible because it's not so massive. The one thing I go back and forth on is should size be included in a component set or should it be its own separate thing? And for buttons, because size is the only difference, I like to keep them as a single set. So like button primary and yeah, primary brand would have large and small inside of one component set. Whereas something else, maybe like a tooltip, I actually have them as separate. There's a large tooltip and a small tooltip as separate components because I actually have more elements inside of the large tooltip. not only is it larger, but it also has a title and a description. Maybe even has you know an icon in there because it has more elements and the size isn't the only difference. That's the point where I like to split it into a separate component.
1: That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that distinction, but it makes total sense. And I, again, I think that is a change that I've made over the years too where I just keep pulling apart component variant sets into smaller chunks. It is just a lot easier to use. Like I should be able to just search for a secondary button and immediately just drag it in and not have to configure anything.
0: I think it makes, makes finding everything a lot easier and also it makes it so you don't have to configure so many properties in the, the panel on the right side to get to what you're looking for. You can kind of just see what you want, drag it in, and it's you know 90% there. You just gotta maybe update the text or something. So it's I think it's easier overall.
1: So you're on version 8 of UI Prep now, which is incredible mm-hmm. and obviously you should be very proud of that. I'm really interested in now going back to the beginning a little bit before you actually released that first version. Can you talk to us a bit about where you were at in your career and what led to you like making this jump and what was that initial process of deciding and ultimately shipping this UI kit like?
0: Yeah, I started UI prep God, a long time ago and I started it back when I was running a design agency. And at the time when we started, we were in Sketch. That was the tool to be using. And we had all these really great UI kits, and I loved them all so much, especially like UX Power Tools. I st- poured over that that UI wow. kit, and, like studied like how they did things, like why they did them in that way. It was such a great resource for me. And well, we didn't often use it for our client work. Like we used their methodologies and their patterns, and like how they structured their components, all that knowledge we poured into our client work, uh, which was so valuable. And then when it came time to switch to Figma, <laughs> we were heartbroken because there wasn't a. Uh, UX power tools for Figma and there weren't really any other strong UI kits to use, none that we could like look up to. So I just kind of poured into all the features, like thinking out, okay, like I'll decide for myself like what I think the best way to structure each individual component is. And for me it was a great way to have all this upfront work of okay, I'll figure out the best way to do these things now. So that when you know each new client comes around, I'm gonna immediately know the best way to do this, like really save us time and like really create like quality work. And in that process, I ended up just creating the UI pep system, which is great because I could duplicate it for new clients, like have a great start. I didn't need to you know, create a brand new set of buttons every time we had a new client, like those kind of basic table stakes items were already there and like ready to be customized. So it's a really huge win. And it was so great for us because we had a system that not only was strong, but we knew the ins and outs of, and we knew we were starting each um, engagement on a really strong foot. And once I had this kit made, you know, why not share it with other people? And so I listed it and it was like just a side project for me. People who bought it, you know, joined my newsletter and so the newsletter kind of started really sporadic. It was like a monthly newsletter to start with, really lightweight, it wasn't nearly what it is today. And people really found the system helpful in terms of like education, like how, just like how I found the other UI kits when I was learning helpful. And so I ended up spinning up free versions of the UI kit, you know, just the buttons or just the colors or just the inputs, whatever it is, along with like a little demo video explaining like how to use them, like why they're built, they were they're built, which is exactly like all I wanted. And when I was learning and people found it really valuable and it was a free resource and that added to the newsletter as well, which added to sales for the UI kit and it kind of just took on a little life of its own and got more and more popular, and so I invested more time in the newsletter, in the website, and yeah, at a certain point it became a large enough side project that I was able to make that jump and work on it full time, which is what I've been doing for the past few years.
1: Can you give people a better sense of what UI prep looks like now? For people that are not as familiar, like from that beginning, where has it taken you?
0: It started just as a design system UI kit and a newsletter, and it really became the source of Education, because some people were coming to learn the best way to build a component or set up a file. And so more than just a, a resource, it really became a place for learning, which really directed how everything was, how I built things, how I talked about them in any article or video I have. From that, people started reaching out asking for, for training and tutoring and I did some like one-on-one training and some team training, created some courses for like specific teams. And it all kind of snowballed into this course that I have now, which is really great, which I have all these years of experience, like updating this UI kit and like doing these one-on-one trainings. So I can kind of pour all of that knowledge into this one really large course with all this information.
1: Can you talk a little bit about like how you've grown as a content creator throughout this process? Because I think so many people are you know, constantly seeing all these things that you're like posting on Twitter and in and, and your newsletter and it's really excellent. And I think it's hard to, nobody starts off at that level of excellence. So how did you grow in that area? And what were some of those lessons or inflection points that you had along the way?
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of improvement in this category. If you hadn't told me when I was a kid that So much of my career would be like writing about things and and speaking publicly I I wouldn't believe you because I was those are my worst topics for sure in school These didn't necessarily come naturally to me, but I think when you're talking about a a subject and a topic that like you really care about it kind of doesn't matter. You'll find a way to to get there and I had you know, I've had years of experience now and Yeah, it's just it's a muscle to to exercise, I think. And I think again, as long as you really care about something and want to know more about it, are curious to know more about it and like want to explain it clearly to someone, maybe even someone that you know, you kind of just find that way through just a lot of practice. And yeah, it's been a really interesting process going through all of this and doing something I never expected to be doing and really loving it because I love the topic so much.
1: When you look into the future and you kind of imagine where this could go and what it could look like what do you see
0: oh it's a great question something i've been thinking about a lot actually i mean the course i think is the kind of the heart and soul of ui prep at this point i think it's always going to be a place to come and learn and also like find other people i think today we're there's so many teams small teams of designers right? everyone's working remotely these days and i think it's can be a bit lonely so just like creating this like shared space where people can come and learn from each other and have that sense of a community and you know just being able to talk shop is really important so i think that's always going to be a core part of ui prep and i think also growing the consultancy side of things i've always worked with a few clients every year i think it's really important to if you're talking about something you should also be doing it um so i gotta walk the walk as much as i talk the talk and so i make sure to always have a few clients each year and that's something i I really love and really inspire so much of the content and like ideas that I have. And so I think growing that outside of things is something I'm really looking forward to doing in the future.
1: Can you talk about that a little bit more? Cause I'm sure some people are listening. They love design systems. They love building things in Figma and they're like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Like, well, how does she actually do that? Like, how do you get those clients and what do those types of arrangements look like?
0: Yeah. So typically what I do is, is fairly specific and It'll be for a wide range of clients, but a really common use case is a team that has a live product and they have enough designs to get by, but they're at this growing point where they're adding on new people to their team and they're growing and things just aren't scaling and the design files are kind of breaking and they don't have like systems in place to scale properly. And so typically I'll come in and I'll do like a really thorough audit of their entire system that the product and the design files and talk with the team, figure out what the long-term goals are. And from that, we'll kind of figure out how we're going to move forward and make this like a really strong and scalable system that can be used by their team. And so we'll kind of go through and just really big audit, figure out what's key, what's staying, what's going, what we're consolidating. And then from there, I'll help them figure out like the best file structure and how to set up all our variables and our styles and you know the first handful of components to get them started and also send them off with some training material so that they actually are able to like strongly adopt these new things and not only adopt it for the current team, but as they add more team members, they have this like a really rich start of a, a library of resources to be adding to, like learning and like understanding how they're going to use the system to move forward.
1: What's the output of that? audit? Because I think that that's like a pretty common answer that you hear from people. And yet I don't have a ton of clarity around, well, what are you actually putting together and sharing back with the team to like demonstrate your learnings and create some surface area to make recommendations on top of?
0: So it's kind of two main categories, colors and components for the most part, or in you know, textiles and other things, but... Those take up a big, big part of the audit. With the components, I mean, we'll literally just go through and like pour over everything and take a screenshot of every component and every possible state it has and add them to just these big buckets. So in big one, just like a big frame. Okay, here's, you know, a hundred screenshots of inputs that we took with all these different states and like, okay, why are we having these three different types of inputs and like, we show a state, you know, in one way in this part of the product and a different way in this part of the product. Can we consolidate them? Can we make this easier? And we'll kind of go through all the different product areas and then, kind of at the end, have like a really big bucket of all these different examples of how we're using these components and do we have gaps? Do we have overlap? Are things just like maybe not as accessible as they could be? And then we'll also do the same thing for color. We'll go through, and this part's a little more painstaking, where we'll just sample all the colors in the system and also take note of okay, we use this gray for like this text here and this icon there and this border there. And, you know, everywhere it's used and create just this like massive bucket. And usually you have a horrifying amount of grays that are being used. And you might realize like (laughs) even your, your, your primary color, the most important color is, you know, you have five versions of it and they're all similar, but like, you can tell there's a difference. I'm like laying that out. I think plainly it's a really huge first step and like, okay, we have a bit of a problem here. It's manageable. but Like we can certainly consolidate and like make things easier and, better moving forward. And for me, typically next step is a spreadsheet. I love a bit spreadsheet. And so kind of documenting everything that we have, making note of what we don't need, what we're consolidating, what states are we gonna support for all these different components? What changes are we gonna make? What are maybe a few things we should add that we didn't have before? And doing that both for the colors and the components. And yeah, from there, kind of prioritizing everything and then jumping into Figma and starting to Create this new system.
1: I think that you have built enough of a reputation where probably it's not super hard to sell yourself. So maybe you could even go back a few years because I think it's a little bit easier in some ways to sell yourself as. A pure product designer because you kind of have these like growth metrics at the end of the day, or, you know, we increased sign up conversion rate by X percent over two months. And as a design systems specialist, you don't have this like neat bag of business outcomes that you can really easily point to. And so, can you talk a bit about how are you selling yourself and clarifying your personal value proposition as a consultant.
0: Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to time because like you said, sometimes it can be a little abstract to figure out like, okay, well, these new buttons really help or were they just kind of like, you know, they neaten things up a bit, but maybe it didn't make a huge difference. But once you can go through and say, actually, the system is, you can really measure accessibility quite clearly. This you know, even in percentages. like. This wasn't all um accessible and now it is. We have all these different elements that are much more accessible, both with color and, and text, and even some design patterns. Another one is it's just how much time do it take for your designers to create something? Do they have to recreate something because something was confusing? Onboarding new team members to the system can be a huge, a huge source of taking up time on the team. And also moving into development. Having everything named the same way and really clearly usable and just like a neater or more organized system is going to help the developers really build out in the code and again save them a lot of time and also save a lot of time in terms of Q&A. You can measure how many bugs were ticketed in any given month and compare that between before and after the system.
1: So I want this to... Wrap up in a way that is like as practical as possible, because i I know there 's someone out there listening, and they 're just really inspired by your story and how you 've been able to build this career and you know attain this level of like freedom and having fun doing it clearly and maybe they have some kind of an idea for let 's call it a digital product, maybe it 's not even related to figma it could be. UXR tactics or frame your resources. They have something though, but they have no followers, no newsletter. What advice do you have for them to take that nugget of an idea and, you know, wake up on Monday morning and have like an actionable next step that they can take to get momentum?
0: I think when I started, you know, so many years ago with UI prep, the only reason I, I grew any, Followers, any subscribers, newsletters, because I was just producing value, versus really marketing, like talking a lot about a lot of things. I was actually giving away really valuable things that honestly should have been paid, but were were free. Not only were they free, but there's also like helpful little nuggets on how to use them. So I think providing just value upfront, and you know, exchanging that value for a simple email address or a simple follow is really huge versus just. You know, shouting from the top of your lungs, like, "Hey, look over here!" Um, I think as long as you have something really valuable and you're making it visible like to sell the UI prep design system, I gave away parts of it for free, and that's really how I grew the first chunk of my subscribers, which made the newsletter what it is today. And then once you kind of do get to that a certain size in terms of either followers or, or newsletter subscribers. It turns into a bit of a flywheel and kind of can grow on its own but just to kind of get things started i think just putting something out there whether it's a little mini version of a course or a resource or a tool or even like maybe a service i think that's a good way to really earn people's trust in addition to just their attention because if they like one thing you put out they're going to pay attention and listen when you put out a second thing so i always choose to Share less, but when I do share, make sure I, I feel really strongly about it. Versus trying to share a lot and just kind of being noisy. I want someone to opens up an email or sees like a Twitter post to know, oh, it's it's going to be good, or I am looking forward to it because like I like this person, I like what they put out. Versus like, oh, they just post every day just because they feel like they should. So I think just being kind of conscientious around the value that you are adding is huge and kind of everything in terms of building trust with an audience.
1: I love it. Well, you've obviously built a lot of. Trust with a lot of designers all over the world. And if you're listening to this and you haven't been onto uiprep.com, definitely go. There's just like a ton of resources. Can't recommend the newsletter and course enough. Molly, if someone's listening to this, like, how can they be helpful to you and where you're at on their journey?
0: Reach out, say hi. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you think of my newsletter and the course. I'm very accessible. Feel free to send me a DM or an email. Just say hey.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Molly. This has been great. Thank
0: you so much. It's been really fun.